Like Seth said earlier, we're going to be in August. Uh, August. <laughs> we are in August, yes. August 6th. But we're going to be in Acts 14. <laughs> yeah, Seth, you like that a lot. Thank you. Uh, can you turn me down just a little bit? I'm afraid that I'm going to be too loud here in a second. But uh, it's pretty. <laughs> Thank you, Matthew, too. All right. But <laughs> with that, I want to begin by pointing us to something that I think we've all probably experienced. Um, in Acts 14, uh, I think God's pointing us to uh, a particular idea and topic today that we can see in the lives of the apostles, uh, Paul and Barnabas. But it, it, it kind of comes from, let, let me tell you this, or bring this you know, illustration in front of you, and then it might click here in just a second. But uh, five to ten years ago, there was this conspiracy that began, I think, that our phones were listening to us. Y'all remember when that was a conspiracy? Because we all know it's not anymore. <laughs> like, when we pull up our phones and we start looking at anything on Google, it's like an ad pops up about something that we were just talking about with our friends. Macaroni and cheese, there it is. It's like, what? <laughs> like, how does this happen? Well, yes, the phone is listening to us. And if you, I don't know, honest answer, please raise your hand if this is true of you. Have you ever read the terms and conditions on any of the apps that, like, you know, you agree to? I mean, has anybody really done it? Please. I want to honest, like, has anyone done <laughs> I thought there might be one or two. Thank you, John. <laughs> yes. But most of us are like, no, we're just skipping. Yes, I accept. And what we're accepting is we're entering into some contract. We really don't know what the contract is. Like, who knows what TikTok is doing to America right now? You know, that was the big hoo-ha just a few months ago with China and things like that. But this idea, we're signing on to a contract and not really knowing what we're doing. Honestly, I believe, uh, this is going to kind of come harsh pretty quick, but I feel like that is what a lot of people do when they jump into the contract with Jesus. When they su submit their lives to Jesus, when we trust Him as our Savior, we don't have a full grasp of what that means. And that's okay. We can understand the gospel and know that He has saved us. He, he came for our sin and we give it over to Him. But then we never get that next step of discipleship and learning what it really means. And Seth brought that out just a little bit ago. Like One of the main goals that we have is we want to disciple our people. We want everyone in this church family to feel like they're a part of discipleship. And discipleship's happening in their lives and they're discipling people. It needs to be a part of the heartbeat of who we are because confusion happens. I don't want to sugarcoat it. And I, I really don't want to hide it. To be a Jesus follower, it's not initially about us. We think, like, it, just think about it. I am following Jesus. That is not, I am doing what I want to, kind of looking like Jesus. That we are saying, I am following, and it's about him, Jesus. He's the, the main part of that sentence, not me. And I think that we have this wrong view of what it means to follow Christ. And Paul and Bartimaeus give us a great example. We're going to see from them, it's not about living for us and our glory, but it's about living for God's glory. It's about giving Him glory in everything. 
And you're going to see in chapter 14 this critical idea, and we're going to look at a few moments and different situations that have come up, and we've seen it throughout all of Acts. And just before we dive into Acts 14, I want to give us a kind of a, a quick, 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 quick run through of chapters 1 through 13, okay? So what led us to this point in Acts um, 14 is chapters 1 through 13. Acts was the sequel written by Luke to his gospel that he wrote, the gospel of Luke. So it's like his sequel, the continuation of that story. And most people understand Acts to be Acts of the Apostles. It'll say Acts of the Apostles, you know, underneath it. But actually, the better understanding of this is Acts of Jesus in the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. So think of it that way. It's God working through his apostles. So chapter 1 begins with Jesus giving direction and the hope of the coming Holy Spirit to his people. He gives them the mission of taking the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth in 1.8. Chapters 2 through 17 are then the gospel going to Jerusalem and going throughout Jerusalem. And then chapters 8 through 12 are like this centerpiece of Judea and Samaria. And then chapter 13 begins the gospel going out to the world. Paul and Barnabas are taking off on their missionary journey, journey, and they have gone to Seleucia, Cyprus, Perga, Pamphylia, Antioch, and now they're headed to Iconium. So that's where we are today. They're headed to Iconium. And as I was praying through what God wanted us to hear from this passage, I believe he was pointing us about what it means to follow Jesus. Like we can see it in the life of Paul and Barnabas, that it's not about them, it's about bringing glory to God. So you hear me say this often, and I think this is why God is pointing us to this and bringing us back here today in Acts, that I don't believe God is calling our church to be a church that lives for our glory. It's not, our church should not be propping ourselves up and saying, look, we're Church of the Valley, look at that great name and who we are and we're so great. Like, and don't we love everything about us? That's not the point of the Church of the Valley. Church of the Valley is a church that came together to be on God's mission to bring Him glory. Like, so let's be careful, church family. And I think he's bringing us all back around to this point today that it's not about us. It's not about our church. It's not about us individually, but it's about him. So God gave us four attitudes we can look at here in the missionaries that ensure we are bringing him glory like he's called us to. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. So Acts 14, 1 through 18, I'm about to read it. Let me pray and we'll dive into the passage. God, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for our church family. I thank you for the privilege we have to come before you and worship you. I thank you that we can sing songs that just turn our eyes to who you are. Just to be able to celebrate what you've done for us. That we have a king who is worthy to be crowned. Lord, we lay them all at your feet. All of our glory and all of who we are right now. And we ask that you would speak. Change our hearts. Help us See our selfish ways and give them over to you. And Lord, may you be glorified. May you be praised. May today be about you and not about us. Speak to us through your word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Verses 1 through 18 of Acts 14. Let me tell you, there's words that I struggle with. Just know. So in a second, I'm going to pause and try to get my bearings when I say it. Just know. It, it, 
I have a hard time speaking sometimes. All right, 1 through 18. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat and stone them, and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derby, cities of, this is the word that really gets me, Lyca, oh man, Lycaonia. It's Lycaonia. There we go. Lycaonia. And to the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw that what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying, In Lycaonian, <laughs> the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker, and the priest, and the priest of Zeus, who was temp, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing this? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news. That you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that's in that is in them. In past generations he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seeds and satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. So... We see this moment of them going into a town, sharing the gospel, getting run out, then going to a new town and beginning to speak. They heal someone, start sharing, and then start getting worshipped. It's kind of a change of pace for them. But just to give you a heads up, in verse 19, the following verse here, they try to stone Paul. So just give you, the, it, it changes very quickly, okay? We're getting into that next week, but it's kind of the same thing that's always happening to them. All right, so verses 1 through 7. We live for God's glory and not ourselves when we deny ourselves. Like Paul and Barnabas here, denying ourselves. Paul and Barnabas went headfirst into the mission of God here into Iconium that they knew would be difficult. Like I already said just a second ago, what was the pattern? They went into the synagogue, and what would happen in the synagogue most of the time? Someone? Crowd participation, what? They get run out. And then usually it came with threats. Like, we will take you out if you don't get out. And by take out, I mean, you know, done for. Okay. So they knew that they were going to face this opposition. They, they knew that they're coming in. And they continued to do what they had done in every single town, even knowing that it's coming against them. But they kept coming back. Here in Iconium today, it was in Antioch, Salamis, and Damascus. In every one of those instances, they go into the synagogue and they get run out. 
They go in, start sharing the truth, they get run out. And guess what? They keep going back. I, in this moment, almost want to tell them, stop. Okay, like, you guys know what's about to happen. You're going to go into the synagogue, and you're going to get run out. You know you're going to get attacked. But they keep going. It kind of feels like, I don't know if you guys were big Rocky fans like me. I think I brought it up in a sermon once or twice. But Rocky Five, when Rocky's getting beat by the Russian, it's five, right? That's four, I'm sorry. Forgive me. I do chance would know which one it was. So forgive me. The Russian, you know, fight. Uh, he gets like hit. And then, you know, when he goes to his knee and then steps up and gets hit again, and then he like falls back and then he comes right back and gets hit again. Like, this is what it feels like. Like, you're know, like, Rocky, just stay down. Like, please, stop. Like, you kind of feel like that for Paul and Barnum. It's like, please, just stop. Like, for what's good for you. Like, we care about you, Paul. Like, stop. But they take what Matthew, I mean, what Jesus said in Matthew very seriously. Matthew 16, 24. And I, I think this is critical for us to know. This is my life verse. It's found in Luke as well. But this is where I found it the first time. And God wrecked me with it. Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This is the, the verse that changed my life forever. My junior year of high school, it changed completely how I viewed Jesus. It kind of just changed, it like wrecked my view of what I felt like the church had always taught me. Like, Jesus loves you. You are great, Joe. Go be great in our world, is what it felt like the church message was for me growing up. And then I read this, and Jesus says, I love you, yes, but deny yourself. Like, it's not about you, Joe. And this, proud that, this pride that you've built up for yourself, it's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about you. And he's like wrecking me. And then I'm diving into commentary looking at this. And it says, take up your cross and follow me. Saying, like, I have died. I'm willing to die on this cross for you, Jesus. Like, it's not me. It's you. And I'm just going to walk and follow you. Like, this changed my life forever. And I think that we in the church still kind of had that lingering first thought of Jesus loves us. And now let's go be great in our world because he loves us. And I'm not saying that's false. <laughs> what I'm saying is Jesus says deny yourself, die to yourself, live for me and be great in the world for my name's sake proclaiming me to the world around you making much of me to everyone around you not saying look how great Joe is look how great I am and going back to my Rocky illustration Rocky kept coming back because he had something worth fighting for right he had something that was bigger than him behind him what was it America yeah we got to beat him you know like that I'm making a joke, guys, right? But like, really, the, I mean, like, you, there's this kind of a sense of pride when you're watching Rocky. He's like, yeah, that's the dude, you know? But Paul has something worth fighting for that's true. That's why he keeps coming back. He keeps coming back because it's not about him for one, and he has a greater purpose than himself. And you see it here. They go in and they preach the gospel in the synagogue, and guess what? 
people heard and people believed. <laughs> like lives were changed, dead to life. Jews and Greeks believed. So get this, like we have in this idea a lot of times that Paul was only successful to the Gentiles. But it's not true. He preached to the Jews and they believed too. He, his mission ended up being almost for the Gentiles only in a sense. But he still had an impact on the Jews. And so he kept going into the synagogue, kept going into the synagogue, kept going into the synagogue because lives were changed. Church family, I want to ask, have we given up because we're not seeing lives changed? Have we stopped sharing because we stopped seeing lives changed? Or have we stopped sharing or we just never started sharing? Because I promise you, if you're looking for what God is doing as you're sharing and going, you're going to see evidence of Him working. But if we're not doing it, yeah, you're not going to see it. You can't see the work if you're not going. So church family, I want to encourage you now, this is even me preaching to myself, we must go. We must not be scared of what the, the day holds and what the reaction may be. We, we must be like Paul and Barnabas and just be on this mission. And then, get what happened here, it's a little bit different than what had come People came from where they had been, it seems like, and they start coming in, poisoning the ears of the people around them. Like, talking bad about them. Like, they don't know what they're doing. They're kind of weird people, Paul. Kind of weird dude. You know what they do? They don't leave. They're like, all right, you want to do that? We're going to dig our heels deeper. And we're going to keep going. They stayed there for months, guys. Preaching and sharing and sharing. And so there's this hostility, but people's lives being changed. Hostility, but lives being changed. <clears throat> and what we need, though, is to be like Paul in the sense that his heart, his desire was for the glory of God to go forth. And the way that happens is when God breaks our heart for what breaks his when we care about the things that he cares about. Not sports. I mean, I think God's sovereign over sports. Hear that. But I don't think that's his main mission for Auburn to be great this year in football. <laughs> that hurts. <laughs> Thank you, though. <laughs> but honestly, like God, that's not his goal. His goal is not for you to have the best house. His goal is not to have the best things. His goal is not for your kids to do all the stuff. His number one goal is to take the gospel forth and change lives with the saving grace of Jesus Christ. That's his mission. And so... That has got to be our mission if we're followers of Jesus. So we, there's a tendency to make it about all this other stuff, like, guys, this building, I'm so thankful that we have a place to worship, but even if this didn't exist, are we still going to be the church and go forth? Are we going to still stay on mission even if all this falls apart? Because where I've been locked in is... In, Seth and I had this conversation a week or so ago, and we talked about it as men, but like, 
Whatever it is, I feel like God's called us to this. So let's be on mission. Like, forget all the fluff. And like, there's a big push happening right now against this pastor uh, uh, that I've looked up to for years. And because he had this, uh, it's, it's on Twitter. I don't know if you're on Twitter and stuff. But like, he had this thing where he was talking about the church. It's not about the show. It's not about the show. And then like, all these people were pointing out the show that they put on for people. And it's like, I get both sides of the argument, blah, blah, blah. But church family, it's not about it. It's not about the show. And let's not create and develop things as we're growing, as we're, you know, we're still at the beginning. Let's not make it about the show. Let's make it about Jesus and his mission. So everything that we do, church family, let's get on board to that. Like whatever that looks like, not that it looks nice and dainty to the community, but what is he calling us to, okay? That's verse. I ran pretty hard there. We got to speed up. Secondly, <clears throat> first, we deny ourselves to be like Paul and Barnabas. Secondly, we depend on his authority. We depend on his authority. In 8 through 11 here, it says, Now at Lystra, there's a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul looking intently at him and seeing what he had that he had faith to be made well said in a loud voice stand upright on your feet and he sprang up and began walking and when the crowd saw that Paul had what Paul had done they lifted up their voices in their language that gods have come down to us in the likeness of men see this healing right here parallels what we find in chapter 3 when Peter uh, healed the lame beggar uh, at the city gate Paul, like Peter, healed under God's authority. If you even go back into verses 1 through 7, that says that they were doing signs and wonders boldly for the Lord. It was in his power. It was not in their own. And here we see him do something. These men respond and say, no man could have done this. It had to have been a God. It wasn't Paul's authority. And then even in this moment, the Holy Spirit directs Paul looking at the man and he sees in him that something's happening, that he is having faith. Something's happening in the spiritual realm and he allows Paul to perceive this man, lame man's faith. And the apostle then commands him to stand up and the man is able to immediately walk. This moment when he speaks, stand up, kind of made me think about the Gandalf moment at the very beginning of Lord of the Rings when the voice gets deep and he, he like zooms in. He's like, I forgot what he even says, Frodo Baggins. Or I think, Frodo Baggins. It's like, oh, yeah, like, okay. Like, it freaks you out. And you're like, okay, I'm listening. Like, Paul says, stand up. And it was the faith that this man had, not in Paul, but what Paul was teaching, it was God's power. Like all through of, throughout Acts, it was obviously not Paul who did something. It was what God was calling this man to. It was faith in Christ. And this was a sign that uh, a conversation, uh, the kingdom, 
that's here but not complete yet. This is a conversation that we talk about often. Like God's kingdom is at place here. Christ has come and it's reigning, but it's not yet completely fulfilled when we will be with him in heaven. But God is reigning here now and he's in control over all things, over health, over every bit of it. And he's demonstrated it throughout the past couple of weeks within our church family. Like the prayers that we've been praying for baby Wilson and Dalton's mom that they would be healed. Like our God is sovereign over all things. Like he is reigning now. And that was what Paul was connecting with and showing to these people. He's praying, I mean he's leading them to faith in our God. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Get this. In the smallest bit of everything in our lives, like this man's health, God's sovereign over it. And we should live in such a way that we display that in everything that we do. Every bit of my life, it's me surrendered to Jesus. It's me denied, Him living in every moment. And the reality is, I think we try to control our issues, and we try to control our situations. And I know that there was moments in, of doubt in people in our church family over the past month. Or they were struggling with this and just saying, God, I want to trust you, but it's really hard right now. God, I want to put my faith in what you're doing, but it's hard right now. And what God is calling us to is to say, I deny me. I'm not going to try to fix it. I'm not going to try to do it. Do it. I want you to work. It's leaning on him and his ability, his authority, him working, not us. And this isn't the biggest, like the scary moments of life. And this is in the smallest things of life. Like, is Christ living through me today as I speak to my wife? Is he being displayed in my gracious words the way I'm caring and loving for her? Or when my kids act up, is he living through me as I try to show grace to them, living underneath his authority? Or is it me doing my thing, saying this is the way it's going to be, blah, 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 blah. Church family, are we completely submitted? Going back to what I said a couple weeks ago, I think God keeps wrecking me on this. It's like, in every aspect of our lives, we need Him. So why, before the gospel, do we realize we need Him, and then afterwards we try to do it on our own again? Like in our families, in every moment, we need his saving grace before we were saved. We still need it today in every act. And that's actually what sanctification looks like, is realizing more and more every single day the need that we need to say, it's no longer me, it's no longer me, dying to myself, let's let Christ live through me. Thirdly, the third attribute we see, living under his authority was the second one, Thirdly, we deflect the praise. We deflect the praise. 12 through 18, you guys saw what happened when we first read it. But Paul and Barnabas were not okay with getting some of the praise. The locals in their 
ignorance reacted wrongly to Paul and Barnabas and the things that they saw when they healed this man. They assume that Paul and Barnabas are gods. And initially, Paul and Barnabas don't realize what's happening because they're talking in their language. And so, these people call Paul Hermes, their Greek god of oratory. Kind of makes sense. He's the one talking. He's, and they're like, you're Hermes. And then they call Barnabas Zeus, the chief god. And they start coming to praise and worship them. They, they, the, the leader of the temple is coming. The leader of the Zeus temple is coming to praise them. And they realize, oh no. <laughs> what have we done here? <laughs> like, oh my, this is about to get crazy, right? Imagine that scene. Just crowds of people just being in awe and be like, oh, they're about to praise us. All right. And so, what do you do when that happens? You rip your clothes off. Like, this moment is kind of hilarious to me. But like, imagine if you want to get people's attention, like right now. If I wanted to get y'all's attention and I ripped my shirt off, you'd be like, okay. And then you're probably walking out the door, right? But I got your attention for a second. So Paul and Barnabas, they're realizing they're about to do these Sacrifices to them. They rip their clothes off. And they run out. But see how quickly they respond. Ripping their clothes off. And running out saying, don't praise me. Praise the God who deserves the praise. So when they're ripping off the clothes off, that actually has a, a sign of mourning or distress it's like, a, it can even be a protest of like blasphemy that we just heard. So in the culture, and so here the missionaries are urging them like, this is not good. Close off. Let's not do this. I want us to think, how quickly is it for us to deflect the praise away from us? How quickly do we say, it's about someone else, it's about God rather than me because I think typically it's not very quick for me personally this is a struggle it's not easy and even thinking about like when someone says hey brother that was a great message today like the response should not be thanks hear me so you can call me out next time when I don't do this but like it should not be thanks it should be to God be the glory like it's about him like, great, he's great, <laughs> not Joe. And ultimately, if I'm doing my job correctly, it's not even really me, it's him speaking to our church family through his word, through me. So, like, Joe doesn't deserve a pat on the back. <laughs> Joe doesn't need any praise. So quickly think for yourself, do you turn it to praise of him when someone pats you on the back? How often is it like, I did an amazing job hanging that ceiling fan. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's how I feel oftentimes when I hang a ceiling fan, just because they're so annoying. But honestly, and it doesn't need to be in a weird, dumb, goofy way. Like, I think we do this oftentimes, and it becomes like awkward. Like, like 
in, try to not be impersonal. Like, be a person that, like, is not awkward with people when you say, to God be the glory. Like, it, we say oftentimes, I think something like, yeah, I mean, I don't deserve any of this praise right here because God, and we keep going and going and making it really awkward. Like, this ceiling fan is not, it's like, no, just thank you, but I'm not anything great. God's gracious and good. Like, as simple as that. And this should be a normal phrase off of our lips, church family, to God be the glory. It needs to be something that's natural. It needs to be something that is spoken often from us. And not saying it nonchalantly, like I said. And this takes me back even to, like, high school for me. Like, uh, I don't even know if I want to read this up because I'm going to be making fun of it. But there's some moments where, like, I got in the paper after a football game. And, like, they would interview you or whatever. And so there's little quotes. And my mom cut out, you know. And I have a million of these things at home where mom, like, cut out every paper that we ever got, you know. Thank you, Seth. You know what I'm talking about. Thank you for agreeing with me. But, like, and they're like, hey, how, how did this happen? And I remember always being told, like, God, give God glory. God, give God glory, you know. And so I would just throw something out that sounded good. And it, to some degree, I meant, but, like, it is not just the, like, when you see the Heisman speech or you see the, the actor give praise to God, like, the not half-hearted and then I'm going to cuss in the other breath type thing. Like, it's the, like, realization of God is glorious. And let me not say it nonchalantly like it doesn't matter. But, like, he deserves the praise of my life. And so, yeah, I don't deserve any praise for this. Like, God is so good and gracious to me to let me play this sport. You know, like, that's what it should look like. That just in everything that we do, not nonchalantly, but really meaning God is great and deserving of our glory. 1 Corinthians 10, 30, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Do all to the glory of God. Church family, in every bit of our lives, are we bringing Him glory? In the way that we work, in our businesses, in the way that we spend our time with people, in the way that we eat, in the way that we drink, in the way that we run, in the way that we, whatever we do, spending time with our family, is it all for the glory of God or is it for us? This is coming back to the same thing over and over and over. Is it for us or is it for Him? And fourth, lastly, we declare His glory. We deflect the praise and we de declare his glory. In verses 12 through 18, Barnabas, they called Zeus and Paul Hermes. And so then, when this happens, they rip off their shirts. They start telling them, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. And we bring you good news. That you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. See how cool this is. They take the moment of even when they're trying to give them praise and they turn it to our king. And they say, men, why are you doing this? I'm just like you. I'm of the same nature as you. And I'm not going to go in completely to how we share to a, um, uh, someone who is 
never heard of Jesus, but this is the type of person we are seeing here. We're going to talk about that more in Acts 17. We see a good example of that with Paul. We'll come back to that soon. But here, you see Paul responding in such a way that says, like, I know you don't understand who God is. You're worshiping this other thing. Let me tell you a little bit about our God. Let me tell you about his nature. See, here in this town, they didn't go into the synagogue because there was no synagogue. These people didn't believe in the Jewish traditions. They didn't believe in Jewish customs. And so God to them is the Greek gods. You can see the reference there. I think Greek right here. Uh, but they, um, they're just concentrating on who, um, who, who they know God to be. And so they're breaking, he's breaking it down from the beginning. Like, he's taking them back to the beginning. Because they don't know anything yet, so he's starting with creation. God who created this world, the one who has been gracious to you, bringing rain to you. Stop worshiping these vain gods. Worship the one living God. See, he, he's setting them up and preparing them for it. Church family, I need us to think. When we share about Jesus, we need to be careful of how we approach people. We come at the level that they need and they can understand. Some people are not ready for the full thing right at the beginning. Some people need just a basic understanding of who God is and of creation. And we've talked about this a decent amount, but I want you to think, like, before you dive in, it's like, Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Like, what? Who's Jesus? Like, like you got to get them to where they can at least hear and so tell them the story from the beginning. And that's what we talked about with the, uh, the three circles. It's three circles, right? Yeah, I, I was thinking four in my head. And I was like, that's wrong. Why is it four? But the three circles, um, how to share the gospel. It begins at creation. It begins at what God has done. And we have to get people to understand that there's a God. Because a lot in our world right now, I would say, they, they would say there's not a God. Our area is becoming pretty atheist. But they would also, I think, know deep down that there is. There's kind of a mix. It's like, I want to say I'm an atheist because that's cool. But really, I know that God exists. And now we just need to talk about it. So church family, we got to think, where can we declare the, glo the glory of our God to them? Where are they at? What is it that we need to do? And when we have opportunities, are we going to speak? <laughs> Are we going to speak the truth? Are we going to declare about who our God is? Because here Paul just starts going. He's like, hey, I've healed this guy. You're about to worship me. Don't worship me. Worship a living God. The one who rose from the dead, conquering sin and death for you. Like, we don't get the full message yet, and it kind of gets cut off here, and he's probably going to end up going down this route. But guess what? He gets cut off. And he starts getting stoned here in chapter, I mean, in verse 19 here in a second. But I want us to think, in everything of our lives, are we declaring his glory? Are we deflecting the praise and then talking about how great our God is? This is what it means to be on mission for him. Going, going to our neighbors, going to our friends, going to our workplace. Are we declaring his glory? Are we declaring how great he is? Or is it... Normal day-to-day -day stuff. Church family, going back to the very beginning of today. 
If we're to follow Christ, if we're to walk with Him, it means that we deny ourselves totally. And we present Jesus and the gospel and God's glory as great. I know for all of us, there's areas that need to be kind of chiseled out. Areas where we struggle to do this. And so my prayer and what we're going to pray here in just a little bit is that God would help us be more aware that he would help us see the areas of our lives where we're not completely surrendered. Where we steal the glory and the praise. Where we try to make it about us and not about our glorious king. Church family, he deserves all the praise because while we were running in sin and in the quagmire of junk, in our, playing in our sin, he came to pull us out. He came to rescue us. It wasn't that he gave us a lifeline, a little rope down, but he grabbed us and pulled us out. So who do we think we are to take his praise? We were dead. He brought us to life. Our king is the one who deserves the crowns. He's worthy of it all. Everything that we've saying this morning is about him. Like, let's not let it be words, but action in our lives. Let's not let, let's just not let, Let's not just sing songs about it. Let's live our lives like it. I, I want, and my prayer, is that we would be a different church. Not ones that say we believe something and live totally differently. And I think that's why we began this church as a whole, like everybody that was a part of the beginning of it. Like, y'all are in agreement, right? We're all in agreement. Let's be about it. Let's not live in such a way that says, I deserve the glory. But we have a king who has rescued us from our sin, who is living still, reigning in heaven. Let's make it about him. And so today, this week, everything that we do, every moment that you have, are you denied living for him? Is it about his glory? Church family, let's live it and not just say it this week. I don't know what that challenge means for you. But I do believe that there's a place that God's calling in your life right now that he's saying for you, this is what you need to give up. This is the area. Let's give it up. Because God's called out a few things in my life while I was prepping this message. It was like, Joe, this. And I spent a good bit of time just this morning repenting of that before him. What is it that you need to repent of? Where you were still in the glory. Making it about you. Making it about what you want. And not giving it to the king who deserves it. Church family, let me pray for us. God, we thank you for this word and the truth that's in your gospel. That you have come to save a wretched people who have lived selfless, selfishly. God, help us live selfless lives like Barnabas and Paul. 
who didn't care about the, the danger that they would face, who didn't care about the ridicule, who didn't want it to be about them, but wanted it to be about you, and God, who trusted in your authority. Lord, may we be a people like them. May we go, may we share, may we bring you glory with our lives. God, help us not steal your praise. Help us not make it about us. But Lord, help us be a people who go and share the gospel to the world around us. God, I ask that you would move in our church family. Lord, help us not be a church that is about our church name. Help us not be a church about what we do that we enjoy. Lord, help us be a church that is about Christ alone and sharing his good news with the world. Lord, may we be that church. Lord, stir up something in us now. Help us not continue in this same pattern that we've lived. Lord, work on us now. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.